Let's uh, read together from God's Word, Romans chapter 12, page 1139. If you're using a Bible, that's in front of you. And I think there are sermon outlines floating around as well, if they're useful to you. Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, as we come to your word, we ask you to help us that it might live in our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we continue uh, together in our 40 days of purpose. Week one, God made me to love me. 
Week two, I was made to love God back. Week three, loving God back means loving His family. Loving God back means loving His family. God wanted a family for Himself. He is the one who made all things. And He made all things for His glory. He wanted to have many children share His glory. Many sons, says the NIV. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. The entire Bible is the story of God wanting a family, wanting a people to own His name, to bear His character, to share His inheritance, calling a people to Himself way back through the history of the Old Testament and then on into the New And our reading this morning from Romans chapter 12, you will notice that the first two verses are those key verses for last week, our week on the theme of worship. You cannot worship God. You cannot love God back without then learning to love His family, which is what the rest, or most of, the rest of that chapter 12 of Romans is all about. Love your spiritual family. That's what God calls us to do. And we call it fellowship. My second purpose, first purpose last week was worship. My second purpose in life is fellowship. That's the word the Bible uses to describe us loving His family. Fellowship has got nothing to do with green china crockery. Nothing to do with quiche served with a soft drink in a plastic cup. It is about loving God's family. The person who loves God must also love other believers. And Paul, expressing why he wrote, or one of the reasons why he wrote several of his letters, explains it thus, I'm writing so you will know how to live in the family of God. That family is the church. And he might want to circle family and he might want to circle church and draw a line between them. The church is not a building and neither is it an institution or an organization. It's not a club, but it's a family. Church is not a place you go to. Church is a family you belong to. It's not a place you go, it's a place where you belong. And I'm going to talk this morning about four levels of fellowship. And they're like four concentric circles. And each takes you closer to the heart of what true fellowship, of what true involvement in God's family is really all about, what it really looks like. And as I talk about these four levels this morning, I want you to ask yourselves two questions. Where am I this morning? Which level am I at? And secondly, what do I need to do to move a little closer, a little nearer to the heart. The aim is for us to move right in to the middle. So let's get going on the first level, the level of membership. Membership, choosing to belong. It gets us off the edge and beginning to make our way towards the centre, the entry level. And it basically is a choice uh, to find a church and to get ourselves connected to it. We call that membership. You are members of God's very own family.
family, Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus. And you belong in God's household with every other Christian. The Christian life is not just a matter of believing. It starts there for sure. You cannot belong unless you believe, but believing by itself is not enough. The Christian is called to believe first and then to belong. So in the same way that there came a point in your life when you chose to believe in Christ, you choose to belong, to be connected to His family. It makes no sense to say you're a Christian without being connected to a church. A tuba player sounds pretty funny without an orchestra. And Christians look and sometimes act pretty strange without a church. One of the great things about the church in Ipswich, across the town, is the relationship that there is amongst the church leaders. And sometimes the conversation comes round to people that we all know. And we know them because they've all been in our churches. And that one minister will tell a story that is, that is familiar to somebody else. He'll, he'll talk of someone who came to their church larger than life, full of the Spirit of God. They talked the talk. So often they were up close and personal, full of it. But almost as quickly as they came, there will be something in their church that they didn't quite agree with, and as quickly as they came, so they left leaving a bit of a wake of disturbance behind them. And the cycle repeats itself in another church and then again somewhere else. No maturity, no depth. A Christian without a church is a strange thing because it was never meant to be like that. It's not the way God intended for us. Membership is a funny word, isn't it? And we use it at all kinds of different levels. We use it so casually. I'm a member of Blockbusters. I'm a member of some other uh, uh, organization that simply means I've joined it or I've signed up to something in some way. But look how Paul uses the word members. In Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Just like your hand is a member of your body, that's how tightly, Paul says, we are tied to one another. This isn't about signing up or being part of some club or organization, but actually much deeper, much more profound about belonging to one another. It's not that we all signed up to some Burlington Baptist Church something or other, which is out there somewhere. It is the fact that in membership together, we belong to one another another. Another description of the church is that of the bride of Christ. And because Jesus loves his bride, because Jesus loves the church, you and I need to have that same kind of love for it by deciding, choosing to belong. What did it mean in the New Testament when somebody got baptized? And remember that every believer in the New Testament, as far as we can understand it, was baptized. It meant that they were standing up to be counted for their Christian faith. Being baptized was a sign that they were going to stand for Jesus Christ. But it was more than that. It was not simply that they were standing for Christ. It was also that they were putting their hand up to say, I now belong to the church. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now part of his resurrection body. Let me read it in the NIV, words more familiar to you. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. 
whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So I have to ask you today, do you belong here? Do you belong here? Some of you are still seeking. You're not sure what you believe. And we love to have you here. We're thrilled that you, you're using this family as a place to seek and to ask your questions and to seek some answers and direction for your life. We're glad you're here. But what, have, what are those of you who have decided what you believe? Have you decided also to belong? Membership matters. This church is not a place to visit. It's a place for us to belong. And if the Bible is true, you need us, and we need you. And with the greatest respect in the world, if for whatever reason you're not able to, or you feel unable to belong here, then for Christ's sake, for the sake of his church, for the sake of your Christian life, find somewhere where you can belong. God calls you to belong to his family. Don't drift, choose to belong. And I know in great theological terms you can say, well I'm a Christian and therefore thank you very much, I do belong to the universal church of Jesus Christ. And you are absolutely right about that. But you know too that 95% of the time when the New Testament talks about church, it's about people choosing to belong to their local group of believers. Choose today to belong. Maybe this week of 40 days of purpose is the one when you will decide to get off the fence and take it one step further and choose to belong. So if that's the first level, the second level, moving in just a little bit closer, <clears throat> we'll call friendship. Friendship. Learning to share. Learning to share. Life is not a solo act. Each one of us needs friends. And we need real friends. We teach our children to share because we know that if they don't learn to share, their life will be the lesser for it. And the Bible talks about the early church, the believers meeting together, constantly sharing everything with each other. So notice, first of all, that this level of friendship, the next level in, involves meeting and sharing. Two things that are absolutely necessary if you are going to develop in your life good, real, meaningful Christian friends. Meaningful friendships are a choice. They do not happen by any kind of accident. And if you invest the bulk of your time in projects, achievements and abilities, I'm sure you will be successful in them. But then we must not be surprised if one day we wake up having given our lives so fully to these things to discover we don't really have none or very many real friends around us. They don't happen by accident. They take our time. They met and they shared. So what did they share? Well, the Bible says that they shared everything. The Bible also gives us ideas of what we might be able to share in our developing of real Christian friendships. Firstly, we can share our experiences one with another. People learn from one another as iron sharpens iron. We've all heard the phrase that it's wise to learn from our experiences. But I guess it's probably even wiser to learn from other people's experiences. 
I don't know about you, but I don't have enough time to make all the mistakes myself. If I make up, if I make all the mistakes myself and learn only from the mistakes I make, by the time I've sorted it out, it'll probably be the end of the road for me. I need to learn from some of the mistakes that you've made, and maybe just a little, you need to learn from some of the ones that I've made. We can learn from each other. God's short circuit for our growth is that we might learn from one another. And so we know all kinds of things here in this place. You know some things I don't know. And I know some things you don't know. And the person sitting next to you knows things that neither of us knows. How much could we learn if we developed friendships that were real and meaningful as we journeyed in life together? Second, the Bible says we have to share our homes Open up your homes to each other. It doesn't say the nice ones, or the big ones, or the ones where cakes are made inside. It simply says, open up your homes. Why does it say that? Why have a church, and then the need to open up our homes? Why? Because you cannot have fellowship in a crowd like this. Fellowship happens in small groups or one-on-one. Whatever else we do here on Sunday, fellowship is really low, if at all, on the agenda. There are too many of us. We can worship together, we can learn together. In a big group, we can encourage one another, but we can't fellowship together. Most Sundays, you will walk out the door not really knowing anybody here better. Even those people that you choose to speak to after this service, probably the same people that you speak to every week, if that's the only time you connect to those people, your relationship with them will not have got further than first base. You cannot really build relationships that matter in a crowd or something tagged on to the end of our time of corporate worship. And that's why I love meeting people in their homes. I can spend half an hour in somebody's home and it's worth more than shaking hands with that person for two years at the end of a service here on a Sunday. That's why I like people coming to my home because it makes a difference. It builds a connection. It builds relationship. Fellowship can only take place in a small group or one-on-one. And maybe that's just why the Bible says, well, however big your church, whatever your buildings might be like, you've got to open up your home and meet in those places. Maybe it's not a coincidence that the church grew fastest in its first 300 years when there were no church buildings and they were forced to meet in their homes. The phenomenal growth of the cell church movement, where being part of a small group was given the highest value, even above coming to the big attendance on a Sunday. Those churches have grown phenomenally quickly. Why? Because they've captured something that's at the heart of what God wants to do. And that's for his people to belong to one another. Lots of New Testament commands and instructions that you simply cannot do unless you're building strong, deep, meaningful Christian friendships. I don't think you can do that over coffee at the end of church. I've been thrilled by the way our small groups have developed over these last few years. Thrilled not simply because of the steady rise in attendance or because of the fact that most, if not all, new members are finding a group to belong to but thrilled because of this third aspect of sharing. We're called to share our problems. You see, we're not meant to face our problems alone. 
The Bible says share each other's problems and troubles. Share a joy that uh, the people around you might rejoice. Share a sorrow that they might carry it, the burden of it, with you. Weep as we read with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn, but rejoice also with those who rejoice. So why am I thrilled? I'm thrilled for this reason. In the past, people would have a need and they would get on the phone and they would ring the minister. Fantastic. These days, perhaps they'd get on the phone and they'd ring the pastoral team as well. Equally fantastic. But then something else is beginning to happen in our church which makes me skip on the inside. And that's as people will ring me to share what's going on or maybe the pastoral team and to share the need, but they also are ringing or want their small group to know. They want their small group to know because they know that in that small group are a group of people ready, eager, waiting, wanting to love them, care for them, support them, stand with them, get alongside them, pray with them, whatever it might be, whatever it takes to get them through. And I've watched how people in a moment of need have had a wall of support all around them because they've chosen to develop real friendships in their small groups. And in those moments, isn't the church exactly what it was meant to be. A few weeks ago, someone going through a difficult time said to me, uh, chatting about it, they said, you know, Burlington has been fantastic. And I was proud that Burlington has been fantastic. And you should be proud too, a godly pride, that Burlington has been fantastic in moments like that. But do you know the truth? It wasn't Burlington at all. It was their small group. It was their small group. And I have to say, sadly, that the opposite happens too. People face a big life crisis and hardly anyone is hopping around to love and care for them. Why is that? Is it because we don't care? I don't think so. It's usually because there were no or little relationships in place already. The connections were not there and it was so much harder then. Real fellowship is about building real friendships built and nurtured when the weather is fine so when the storm comes they prove their worth. You cannot take the New Testament seriously without building these kind of friendships with people around you. And they can only happen in small groups or one-on-one. You say, but I've tried. I've tried small groups. Small groups are rubbish. I can understand that small groups are disappointing. Small groups are made up of people just like you and just like me. So they're sometimes disappointing. They're not what we want them to be. But you know, when you go out for a meal and it's rubbish, do you decide you're never going to go out for a meal again because all meals out must be rubbish? When you bought your house, did you buy the first one you went into? I doubt it. You looked around, this isn't for us. Did you therefore conclude that all houses are not for you? Find a small group that works for you, for goodness sake. We have 15 or so in our church now, including the young people ones. Find one that works for you. Find one that works for you. Because that's the place where it really happens. So let's give our small group leaders a round of applause. The third level. Moving in a little bit closer. A little bit closer. Partnership. What's partnership? Partnership is doing my part. Doing my part. It's realizing that I've got a contribution to make to this family. That the family of God needs me. God has not brought you to Burlington to sit and soak in some spiritual spa. If that's why you're here, then I'm sorry we've not been clear enough with you. 
as to what we're really all about. And if you've come here from a smaller church hoping that you might get lost in the crowd, then I'm really sorry. We've given you the wrong impression of our church. This is an all-hands-on-deck, every-person-matters, we-need-all-the-help-we-can-get kind of church. You see, we believe that God brought each one of us here to make a difference in our lives. But we also believe that God brought each one of us here to make a difference through our lives. God wants to make a difference through your life. And the Bible is filled with the fact, 58 times in the New Testament, about one another, serving and loving and caring, supporting, encouraging, so on, one another. You see, it's great to share your heart, that's level two, but sharing your heart must lead to doing your part in the family of God. Why? Because we are partners working together for God. If you're in a job share and your job share partner doesn't play their part, what happens? You get stressed, you get very frustrated and for all the energy you put into it, you still end up with a lousy job because your job share is not pulling with you. We are the greatest job share on earth. And some of you guys have dreamt of being part of a, of a World Cup winning football team or whatever it might be. This is the greatest team on the planet. People get so excited about winning at football, don't they? That's a pig's bladder they're kicking around the field. This is people's eternal destiny. We are part of the greatest volunteer organization this world, this country, this town will or has ever, ever seen. And you're part of it. Will you play your part in that? For the eternal destiny of lives of men and women, boys and girls. That's what it's all about. Being part of his story in the world today. But in order to play your part, you've got to find your niche. Where do I fit in? How do I fit in? Where do I play my part? You see, what's been sad is that some of you found yourselves doing stuff that wasn't your niche. It wasn't you. It wasn't your shape. You got frustrated with it. It got frustrated with you. And you decided helping out in church just isn't my thing. It didn't work out. No. It is your thing. But what you were doing was probably the wrong thing. You need to find your part. You see, there are no wrong people here. Only right people sometimes doing the wrong job. And it's God's job. It's his promise that the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You have a part to play. And if you're not sure what that part is, then it's our job as a church to help you find it. Partnership. We need each other playing our part. Now the deepest level of fellowship in the family is what we'll call kinship. Kinship. When they say, after someone's been taken to hospital following an accident, when they say, notify the next of kin, they do not mean go find great aunt Ethel that nobody's heard of for the last decade or more. They mean find the person who's closest to them. Find the person that they really care about. Find the person that when everything else is stripped away, that person really matters. Find that person and bring them now because this person in hospital is in trouble. Go get the next of kin. Kingship is the deepest level. 
It's loving believers like family. It's loving people in this church like family. Treating and loving believers like they're part of our own flesh and blood. In fact, God says we're not just like a family, we are a family. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, says the NIV. We're a loving family. And the heart of true fellowship is to treat one another like we're family. The word for fellowship in the Bible is the Greek word koinonia. And the basic root of that word literally means to love one another in the same way that Jesus Christ has loved us. That's quite a deep commitment, isn't it? To love one another in the same way that Christ has loved us. Rick Warren pointed out in the launch video, and you'll read it again in your books this coming week, about how everybody seems to know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But he says what people don't seem to know is 1 John 3.16, where we are told that we know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for us. So also we ought to give up our lives for our Christian brothers and sisters. This is the deepest level of fellowship. Giving yourself up, sacrificing yourself for the sake of somebody else. It's not the way we normally think of church, is it? On a Sunday morning. I want to ask some of you today to move to a deeper stage of fellowship in this church. I want to ask some of you today to start treating people here like their family. See, that's what life is really all about. Loving God, learning to love Him back, and learning to love one another. It's not about accomplishments. It's not about uh, what we achieve. It's all about relationships. We were put here on earth by a relational God to live in relationships that work with God and with one another. And notice that this is the key that will unlock our mission to love others like family. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It wasn't too long after Jesus had said those words that the Roman Empire really clamped down on those young Christians. And they were thrown to lions. They were crucified the right way up and upside down. They were put on stakes that were burning and generally given a a horrendous ordeal. And a non-Christian historian writing about that period of time, said it's amazing how those Christians love each other. You see, when the pressure's on, what will mark this place? What do we want to be known by here? Our size, our music, our strategy, our buildings? No, our love. We want people to say that's the place where they love each other because that's what Christianity is all about. Loving God and loving each other. People need right doctrine and that is an essential part of what we are as a church. Jesus was never woolly on doctrine, was he? Not for one moment. But people are looking for love. By your strong love for each other, you will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's one of the greatest privileges I think we can ever be offered. To love the family of God like our very own family. 
See, even those of us privileged enough to grow up in loving homes tend towards love that is shallow and selfish. See, we all need to be taught what love is really all about. That's another reason for your small groups, really, because all the people in your small group are not exactly ideal, are they? And neither are you. And that's why you're together, to learn what it means to love not perfect people, but imperfect pilgrims, just like me and just like you, to love real people. So I want to ask you a couple of questions as we come to a close this morning. Which of these levels are you really at? Have you ever made it to the first one? Have you chosen to belong? Here is a place to belong. It's not a place to visit for a while. It's not a place just to pass through, although those might be necessary as a temporary, as a temporary stop. But there are place, this is a place to belong. You need to choose to belong. And if this is the church where you think is the place for you to belong, then you need to come on one of our Discovering Church membership courses to see whether this really is the church where God is calling you to belong. At the end of this 40 days, we'll be running one pretty soon. Look out for it if that's you. Is this the church? I've got to make up my mind. God calls me to belong and not to drift. And we need to learn to share, to have friendships that are real and meaningful. Where do we do that? We do that in a small group. You don't learn to share in a place like this. You need to share your heart and your life for your own good and for the good of others. Small groups are not about ultimately getting through the study and getting all the answers right. But they are about real sharing and real caring and real encouragement and real praying and support for one another. Maybe this week is the week for you to decide, I've got to find a small group in this place. I need to take my commitment to you more seriously. I need to express not simply that I belong because I'm a member, but I belong because I'm building real relationships with my real brothers and sisters through this church. And if you feel on the edge, and sometimes people feel on the edge. There are one of two things that you can do. If you feel on the edge, you can moan that this is an unloving church. And I am desperately sorry every time that's true. That the experience of this place is that we are unloving. You can leave it like that. Or if you're on the edge, you can decide with a choice to get stuck in and build those friendships that really matter, that will make a difference. For others, maybe it's time to play your part, to find your niche, to find your place to give back. And uh, uh, many of you, or a number of you, have been on the Discovering My Ministry course, but you haven't come to see me for that last appointment. You know who you are, and I know who you are, and I'm watching you, albeit from a distance. No, I'm not really. I've got no idea who you are, but I could find it out. But you know who you are. You know who you are, and that shape profile that you filled in is tucked away somewhere. Maybe you don't know where it is, <laughs> and that's why you're not coming. <laughs> uh, but it's tucked away somewhere, and maybe this week is the week I'm going to sort that out. I'm going to finish that process and make sure I am in the right place. This church deserves me to be in the right place. I owe it to God to be in the right place that best expresses who he's made me to be. If you haven't been on a Discovering a ministry course or even a discovering maturity course. Look out for those. Sign up for them as they come next time. But don't wait until then. Get stuck in and play your part. And then the deepest level. I'm asking some of you today, some of you that love this church and you love your small group 
and you love playing your part, I'm asking you to step up just one more gear. I'm asking you to think about the people that God has given you in this place. I'm asking you to begin to think about them as family. As family. People that you will be devoted to with brotherly love, with sisterly love, whatever it might be. To step up one more gear and say, oh, I give myself for them. I love them that much because they're now part of my family in God's purpose. If God has been speaking to you this morning about any of these things, about belonging to a church, about being part of a small group, about taking Christian friendship seriously, about playing your part, or starting to treat people here as family, I'm going to ask you to stand now so that I can pray with you and for you. Nobody else will know why you're standing, but God knows, and that's what matters. And if you can't stand for God here in the loving, supporting place of his family, then where can we stand for him? God's been speaking to you this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Let's pray together. Loving Father, next to saving us, the greatest gift maybe you've given to us is the opportunity to be part of your family. Thank you that we don't have to go through our Christian lives disconnected and isolated. Thank you for creating this church family for us. Thank you for the vision of those guys 150 years ago that envisioned a community that would love and support for the kingdom's sake. And now we pray, dear God, we want to be part of your family. And we want to learn to love this spiritual family just like you do. And we make it personal. Forgive me for taking it casually. Forgive me when I've taken this church family lightly or flippantly. I want to grow in these levels of fellowship. I want to take the next step, maybe to choose to belong, to choose to develop Christian friendships that are strong and real. Or to, with great earnestness, to find what my part is. Or to begin to live in a new dimension of sacrificing myself, of treating others like family. Teach each of us what that means. That the strength of our love would show to the world that we are yours, authentically yours, people that love you and love one another. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would everybody please stand and we're going to sing together. And maybe if you don't want to leave before just sealing something that God has done, the prayer corner will be available at the end of the service. Someone will be there to pray with you just quietly and quickly and simply. Just to say, this is the day I'm making a commitment to move up a level, to move up or to move deeper into the heart of fellowship. Let's sing together. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you.